Well, surprise, surprise, surprise. I am the lead in music to the message today. So good to see all of you. Yeah, we're glad you're here this morning. We are in uh, week number four already of the Harvest Fields, and it is Mission Month here at Centennial. Uh, and we're going back to our theme verse this morning in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. Uh, and this is the final week that we'll be in this verse. Next week, we will be in 2 Corinthians. Uh, so far in the series, though, we have seen the personal mission of every believer combined with the local mission of every believer in every church. And today, we want to expand our thinking uh, to the uttermost parts of the earth, the ends of the earth, as we talk about global missions. Now, in your bulletin today, along with the sermon notes, uh, there's an insert that shows the mission goals that we're praying about for the coming year, and I hope that you'll be praying throughout this coming week uh, about what God would have you to invest in eternity through this local church to support missionaries and mission projects. Uh, of course, next Sunday evening is our mission banquet at 30 p.m. out in the gymnasium, and I hope that you'll be there as we celebrate together what God is doing around the world. Uh, also, Who's Your One Sunday is only two weeks away, and if you haven't already invited somebody to be your one, uh, this is the perfect week to do it, and I hope you'll get on it this week. And, and for those of you who are cl taking class 201 that starts tonight at 4 o'clock, and it only goes till 6 o'clock. We shorten the class a little bit, 4 o'clock to 6 o'clock, and then dinner is provided. And the class is called Discovering Connection. And I hope you'll be here. Uh, Pastor Andrew and his wife Lauren are leading that class. Okay, Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And we've said in this series that every believer and every church has been given a commission that simultaneously reaches personally, locally, and globally. And as we've done the past three Sundays, today we're going to visit three people or passages that show us God's plan for reaching the world. I want to start this morning in Luke chapter 10. If you'll go there with me, Luke chapter 10, and we're going to work our way uh, expositorily through these three passages this morning and find Jesus here in this passage expanding his mission by sending out 70 more laborers into the harvest field uh, into every city and place. So begin here in uh, Luke chapter 10, and let's read verse number 1. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also, and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whither he himself would come. And uh, let's talk about every city and place. You know, Christians across the world have different perspectives on what global missions is. Uh, many Americans consider global missions anything outside of the United States. And yeah, maybe you feel that way. Uh, but in India, they consider global missions often to be in the next state. 
where they speak a different language, and they're, they're like 100 million people. Uh, in Africa, global missions might begin in a village uh, that is beyond walking distance from yours. In Indonesia or the Philippines, global missions might be anything off of this island. And uh, global missions uh, generally begins outside the local area. And that's what we see with Jesus, uh, is that he sent them to every city and every place. Uh, and uh, he is sending them to prepare the way uh, for the Lord. Now, instead of theorizing about the definition and the extent of global missions, uh, I want you to take a hard look with me at the next verse, verse 2. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. And so Jesus requested prayer for more global laborers. Now this is a specific prayer request and it is made by Jesus himself. And whatever global missions is and however you define global missions, more laborers are needed. Do you know we need more laborers in the United States in our inner cities? Uh, we have large cities in America that basically are unchurched now because people have left a lot of those inner cities to get away from crime and violence and problems. And now entire cities really don't have much gospel witness right in the center of them. Uh, I read this week that more people died in the year from fentanyl poisoning uh, then died from the United States in the entire Vietnam War. Uh, just in one year, that many people died of, of drugs. And uh, we, we have a needy, needy mission field here in our own land. And uh, Jesus request, he requested a prayer for us to pray for laborers. There's a story from life of D.L. Moody that always strikes me. Uh, a critic came up to Moody to question his approach to evangelism. And the critic came up because he thought that Moody was a little crude and his methods were uncouth. And, and so he asked Moody this critiquing question. And Moody answered him this way. This is such a powerful word. He said, sir, I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a lot of times how missions is. Uh, the critics of missions are often not on mission. And you find that most of the people who spend time critiquing someone else's approach don't have a missions approach. Jesus said, pray for laborers. And then he gave out some instructions. Let's look at these in verses 3 through 5. He said, go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Carry neither purse nor scrip nor shoes, and salute no man by the way. And in whatsoever house ye enter, first say, peace to this house. And so these global disciples were given familiar instructions, uh, much like the ones we studied two weeks ago in Matthew 10. Now look at verse number 6. And if the Son of Peace be there, your peace shall rest upon him. If not, it shall turn to you again. And, and so global missions requires a, a person of peace 
to provide an entry point into the community. Verse 7, And in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house. And, and so they said, listen, they'll provide for you when you get there. You don't have to carry your food with you. They'll provide when you get there. I remember years ago, uh, I took my son Cody with me uh, on his first trip to India, my first trip to India too. And he was 14 years old. And we got there and, and landed and uh, our friend Justice took us to a restaurant and the, the Cody ordered an omelet because that basically was something he knew. And, and really, that's about all that he ate for most of the trip because the Indian food just did not entice him at all. Uh, the smell, the taste, the texture of it. And, and so Sunday, we went to this village church. And when you go out in the village in India, they want you to come into the house and sit down, and then they bring you food. And when they bring you food, they don't eat with you. They, they bring you the food, and then they stand there like this and watch you. And, and so we had gone to the house, and they brought us this curry chicken. And I'm pretty sure what they had done is they took a chicken, and they took a, a meat cleaver, and with the bones and everything still in the chicken, they just went like this. And so in this curry chicken, which you eat with your hands, it was just bone fragments and rice and curry chicken. And Cody tried to eat a couple bites, and he tapped me, and he said, Dad. I'm like, yeah. Do I have to eat this? I'm like, uh, I'm not sure. So, so I said to Justice, I said, Justice, do we have to eat this? And he said, no, no problem. I get us out of here. <laughs> so Justice made some excuse in their language why we had to leave, and we left the curry chicken bone-in uh, behind. Well, the next day, uh, we went to visit uh, Justice's future daughter-in-law. He had picked a bride for his son. And so uh, we went in the house and sat down, and this time they brought us a banana, uh, which is pretty familiar territory, right? Well, we all sat there with the banana, and, and so the, this young lady, the sister of the bride, she walked over because Cody wasn't eating his banana. And so she took his banana, and she peeled it for him, and then gave it back to him. <laughs> uh, she thought this is the first time she's ever seen a banana. Uh, but whatever they provide for you, uh, you, take, you take it and you use it, God's resources. Uh, global harvest requires us, though, if you saw this in verse 7, to remain. See what it said? And in the same house, remain. Sometimes it takes decades before you really see the harvest come in. Uh, in some locations, there might be hundreds of new believers every year. Uh, in other locations, like Muslim North Africa, one or two believers a year is the norm for the first decade. Uh, I read the other day, just going back through some facts about uh, a missionary named Adoniram Judson. He and his wife went to Burma, which is now called Myanmar. Uh, they went there in 1812. And when they landed, uh, there was not one believer in the entire country. They had incredible trials. 
uh, imprisonment, starvation. Uh, Judson's first wife died, and then his second wife died. Uh, three kids died. It, it took six years before he had one convert that was baptized, and yet he stayed for 40 years until his death. And just after his death, a government survey recorded in Burma that there were 10,000 Christians. One out of every 58 people in the country was now a Christian. And so Jesus said, you have to stay there to bear fruit. Now verse 8, and into whatsoever city ye enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. I'm constantly amazed how God meets the needs of his servants around the world. Some of the pastors that we serve in India uh, live on less than $50 a month, and yet God provides for them always just enough, always right on time. Now, I want to move over to Acts chapter 16, and let's look at this famous passage which says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we go to Acts 16, I want you to start in verse number 12 with me. And we see this, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. Uh, you'll notice that uh, Paul traveled to chief cities first. Not because the people there were more important, uh, but because chief cities were the crossroads of language, culture, finance, education. And he uh, believed that nations could be reached with the gospel in a more strategic way when you went to the chief cities first. In the first century, no one in these countries had ever heard the gospel before, and so that was the right approach. And we often see that approach throughout the history of global missions. In the last 25 to 30 years, though, uh, missions has tended to be focused many times on more specific targets so that people, groups, and tribes who have never been reached might be exposed to the gospel. Look at verse 13. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And, and so Paul spoke to people who were interested in prayer. Uh, if they were praying to any god, then that meant they were searching for peace in their lives. And you know, when people are seeking for peace in their lives, that's often the time we should talk to them about God. Look at verse number 14. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped the God, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened that she attended unto the things which were spoken of by Paul. Uh, I love the fact that it says in verse 14 that God is always who opens hearts. God is the one who opened her heart. Uh, you cannot force a person's heart to be open toward God. God has to draw that person through the Holy Spirit. And uh, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. And so we have the power of the cross that's already pulling on people. We have the power of the Holy Spirit that's pulling on people as well. Verse 15, and when she was baptized in her household, 
She besought us, saying, if you, have judged, uh, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and abide there, and she constrained us. And so a church was started in a little home because of this person of peace, this woman named Lydia. Now, you find in verses 16 to 24 that the local authorities caused opposition. Uh, they got really upset when Paul healed this young woman who was practicing fortune-telling to make her master's money. And as she would go into a part of the city and begin to tell fortunes, and a crowd would gather, and it's like a mosque pit at a Blink-182 concert. People are jumping everywhere. And the magistrates came in, and they got rough with Paul and Silas. They tore off their clothes. They beat them repeatedly. They threw them in the dungeon. Uh, but as we've seen before, opposition brought new mission opportunities. And as they're in the at midnight, Paul and Silas start singing hymns at the top of their lungs. The whole prison heard. And then there was a great earthquake. Everybody's bands were loosed. And I want to skip down to verse number 29. This is in Acts 16, verse number 29. Uh, so this is the jailer coming in. He called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before, before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, and washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all his, straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them, and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. When we say, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, it's such a simple, powerful phrase. Uh, it is the same phrase for every generation in every place. Uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. At the end of the chapter, uh, I love the fact that when Paul departed, a church remained. Uh, Paul stayed there until there was a functioning church. And then in chapter 17, he went to another chief city, Thessalonica, to start another church. Now, if you're following along with me, I want you to move from chapter 16 to chapter 17, and we're going to look uh, in chapter 17 now at the altar to the unknown God. Paul went to Thessalonica, and uh, then as he uh, left Thessalonica, he went to Berea, and he ended up in Athens. Uh, and he's waiting in Athens for Silas and Timothy to arrive, and uh, so he goes out in the city, verse 16. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. And so Paul's heart was stirred by the idolatry in Athens. Uh, and uh, boy, if you keep up with any news at all, your heart is stirred by the idolatry in our nation by what is taking place. It is tragic uh, what is happening around our nation right now. And uh, this was more, though, than just a concern. His heart was stirred to action. Uh, it was a stirring that initiated vision. It was a catalyst for action. 
And I think there are times when we get stirred, but then nothing happens. Nothing changes. And we come back the next year and we get stirred again. But there are no tangible results. And if you'll notice the beginning of verse 17, uh, you see that Paul disputed in the synagogue. Uh, He did something. He went and did something. He disputed in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. And so Paul attempted Jews in Athens. That was his pattern in every where uh, there was a synagogue. He started with the Jews because they usually had more knowledge about Jehovah uh, than people without a background in Judaism. And he was following a specific pattern that he phrased this way in Romans 1.16. You remember when he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The Jews were his people, and he had a passion for their souls. But you notice what takes place now in verse number 21. He's also speaking to the Athenians. Uh, For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time and nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill. It said, you men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you're too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you. And you can see that Paul is speaking here with Gentiles. And he is uh, living out in his life to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And he has this opportunity to address a crowd of people in this location known as Mars Hill, where philosophers and scholars gathered. And uh, he uh, began to address these people. We, we noticed that he mentioned uh, that they were serving an unknown God. Out of their superstition, they wanted to cover that one, right? They had uh, the God of this, the God of this, and they labeled this God. And then uh, they also had an altar to the unknown God. Just in case they had missed any of the gods, they wanted to make sure they, they cleared it up by having an unknown God altar. And Paul pointed them to the God of creation. Verse 24, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. And so Paul pointed them to the God of creation. You say, Pastor, why didn't he tell them about Jesus? Well, because they had no idea who Jesus was. They didn't even know what Judaism was. And so he had to find a starting point that everyone could understand. As he would write to the Romans in Romans 1.20, for the invisible things of him from the creation are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And for those who have senses, 
For those who have intellect, there is no excuse for them for not knowing that there is a God. There's no excuse. And I know that there are people who say, well, there's no God, or I don't believe there's a God. But you know, most of those people, uh, their problem is not with the knowledge of God. Their problem is they don't want to submit to God, right? Uh, they, they have all the knowledge of God that they need. They don't want to line their behavior up with God. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And, and so Paul explained to them that everybody can know there's a God. And he believed that everyone could understand God's existence through this general revelation of creation. But you know, that wasn't the end of his sermon. Uh, he moved toward the meeting in verses 30 to 34 of repentance and faith. Look at verse number 30. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he has raised him from the dead. So he told them who Jesus was without telling them Jesus' name. He's moving toward repentance and faith. And you see that he also addressed the topic of resurrection. Now, now some mocked, it says. And some said, we'd like to hear more about this. And some believed. Reach into all areas of mission. Uh, personal, local, global. We find that some mock, but some believe. You have friends who mock you for being a Christian. You have people in the community who will mock you if you share the gospel with them. But you know what? Some believe. And, and our job is not to make them believe. Our job is to go into all the world with the gospel. And every Christian has the responsibility to go. Every Christian is called and authorized to be on mission. We have two huge growth goals uh, here at Centennial. One is to, to equip every member to be a minister. We believe that's God's plan. Uh, Ephesians 4 talks about uh, that which every joint supplies in the church. Every member is a minister, uh, serving God by serving others. The other goal we have, though, is to equip every member to be on mission. And, and for some, that's personal and local missions, uh, giving the gospel without leaving the area. That means there is a calling or opportunity to go outside of the local area. Now, when I was a kid in, in vacation Bible school, this is way back in the 1970s, now we used to sing this song that said, I'm a missionary helper, uh, praying every day. I'm a missionary helper, my dollars go God's way, winning precious souls to Jesus, my heart is all aglow. I'm a missionary helper. I pray, I give, I go. Did anybody else in your VBS, did you sing that song or in Sunday school? Okay, we have one that knows it. I was hoping a few people would know it, we could all sing it together. But it's a great song, right? Because it hits all the parts uh, of what it means to be a missionary. I pray, I give, I go. Uh, I have the responsibility 
to go. We saw earlier that Jesus has asked us to pray for more laborers. It is our Christian responsibility. You know, what's crazy about it is when you start to pray for laborers, you know what God touches your heart about? About being a laborer, right? That's why God asks us to pray that prayer. He says, hey, let me give you this prayer request. Uh, pray for laborers in the harvest. Because he knows that when we pray for laborers, we often are forced to think about our own responsibility. It's our Christian responsibility. And uh, we can also give to reach people in places where we might never be able to go. Uh, at Centennial, we do this through faith promise missions giving. It's where I say, God, uh, by faith, I promise to give this amount per week or per month out of the resources you provided me to the cause of worldwide missions. Now, this is beyond the normal tithe. It belongs to God. What we're talking about is an offering to God, an investment in eternity. And we're going to see the model for this kind of giving next week in 2 Corinthians. Uh, at present, though, Centennial partners with other churches to support 36 missionaries or mission projects around the world. We also have two projects that we fund completely on our own uh, in Congo and India, uh, along with the local mission of our Spanish ministry right here. And I talked to you about that last week with our new Spanish pastor uh, coming in in December. And, and so that's 39 unique ministries that are supported by the gracious giving of people here in this church. Now, I fully understand uh, that this way of missions giving isn't how every church does it. It may not be how a church you've been to does it. It may be the way you would do it if you were starting your own church. But right now, it's the way we support global missions here at Centennial. And I've noticed this. Uh, however a church gives to missions, God has a way of significantly blessing those whose hearts agree with his heart. And God is the ultimate provider. Uh, he doesn't need us to get his work done. Okay? He doesn't need our resources to get his work accomplished, but he allows us to be a part of it. And uh, next Sunday morning, we have the opportunity to make commitments for missions. Now, I'm sharing all this with you this morning because I hope that you'll earnestly pray about what God would have you to do. What you decide uh, is between you and God. There won't even be names, blanks for names on the commitment card. Uh, it's not a contest or comparison between you and someone else. It's committing by faith to give resources God has provided to you. It's your unique lifestyle, as long as he'll continue to provide them. And we could all have a part. Giving is something we could all do. Praying is something that we can all do. Going is something that we can all do. We might not all go outside this area, but we can all go. And we've seen this morning part of God's plan for reaching the uttermost part of the world. He is still calling every of his body to be on mission. It is our high honor as children of God to represent him as lights in this dark world. And, and so I'm asking you this week to pray with me about what God would have you to do. I've been praying about what I'm going to be doing 
uh, for my commitment this year, and I'm looking forward to next Sunday in the morning having our uh, special service for that, and then in the evening we have our celebration banquet at 5.30, and I hope you'll be there for both, and uh, just really get connected with what God is doing in all of this. You know, the Great Commission is not a suggestion God gives us. It is a commandment to every believer. It is something God wants us to be involved in. It's his only method for reaching the world. God could have made any method that he wanted. And yet when he sent his son, he made him a missionary. And when his son left, he called missionaries. And when the Holy Spirit came and empowered those missionaries, they went and produced other missionaries. And we are all called to be a missionary's helper, to pray, to give, and to go. Would you bow with me in prayer this morning? Father, thank you for this time we've had together around your word. And I pray that your people, that each of us, would be connected with what you want us to do specifically in this area of missions. Uh, here in our own personal lives, with the people we know, in our local area, uh, with people that we don't know, people who need the gospel, people of our culture, people outside of our culture, and people all around the world who need to hear your truth. I pray that you would uh, impress upon our hearts exactly what you'd have us to do for this great cause that you've given us. Thank you that we could be here this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, everybody. I hope you have a wonderful Sunday. And don't forget to check out Connection Point for the announcements.